Today's text is Hebrews 4, 9 through 12. It's in the New Testament, pretty much near the end of the whole Bible. Please read along in your own Bible, your phone app, or if you didn't bring a Bible, there is one in front of you in the pew, and it's on page 1003. And I hope that you will join me in reading this along. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Thank you, Lori. Let's see, am I on? Nope, not yet. Yep, there I am. So I don't know about you, but I have always struggled with rest, to rest. And for those of you guys who are not like me, who are more type B, that sounds crazy to you. Like rest is like breathing for you. It's so easy for you. And I envy you if you're the type of person who just can just kick it back and hang out in the country, country kind of rhythm of life is just so perfect for you. But for me, um, I've always struggled with just being. And if I hang out with a bunch of friends and family, um, I, I sometimes really struggle just enjoying their company and just being there without trying to do something productive. Um, if we're just doing small talk, I'm like, all right, all right, let's get to it. Let's, how is your heart? How, how's your life? Like, that, that's, you guys know what I'm like? You guys have experienced me like that, right? Like, uh, I remember one, one person in college saying, Sam, I feel like you're, you're, you're interrogating me. And we were just having a friendly conversation. And uh, I thought that was just having a normal conversation with her. And uh, she felt um, uncomfortable with that. And, and so over the years, I've learned how to rest and slow down, especially being married to Joanna. She's not here because she's sick and the kids are sick, um, but um, she, her family, they can just hang out and just talk for hours. And uh, it, it's been good for me. <laughs> it's been good for me. And I'm curious, who here can relate with me? Like, you just can't slow down. You're just always moving. Is there any, anyone else like that? Okay, there's maybe like a third of you are like me. Um, and, and although not everyone in the world is like that, this kind of type A, go, 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 our culture has exceedingly become more of that. Did you know that in the last 20 years, work is up 15% and leisure is down 30%. Work is up 15%, leisure is down 30%. And there was a time... Decades ago, where uh, some people uh, wondered if we were going to have a problem in the future where we just wouldn't work. We would have like 20-hour work weeks, and we would have like robots doing everything for us. And the big crisis in society would be, what do we do with all this extra time? And now, you know, it's been decades. We have not had that problem. In fact, we work more. And and so with the American people, what we've done, we, we work on average more than any other country. What we decided to do is instead of resting more and enjoying gifts of, of, of God more and people more, we, we traded that in to work more for more dollars. And that's kind of how our society has gone. And there's an issue now because we're always on. Now, I have something in my pocket that I put somewhere else called an iPhone. And it's a supercomputer that would take up a whole room years ago. And so in the past, when I would work, I'd go to the office and I'd work and then I'd come home and I'd leave work there. Now, Work is right there on my hip. So I can work when I'm hanging out with friends. I can work at the dinner table. I can actually even work on the toilet, right? And, and this is a problem. This is an epidemic. We can't leave work. We can't slow down. And for many of us, being a workaholic is actually a good thing. Like, no one would be like, yeah, workaholic's good. But like, in our culture, we praise working a lot, don't we? Like, that's a good thing. And if you're lazy, you are chastised. And everyone nowadays is crazy. When was the last time you asked someone, say, hey, how are you doing? What is often what they say? They say, good, but I'm busy. One, one, and you guys hear that? Like, oh, I'm, I'm good, but busy, right? Everyone's busy. Like, kids are busy. Everybody is busy. When was the last time you asked someone, hey, how are you doing? They're like, I'm just free, you know? I'm really available. 
I'm bored. No one is, you're not allowed to say that because we sometimes equate busyness with worth, right? So if you're busy, that means you're worthy, worthy, that you, you're important, that you have things going on. Nobody wants to come across as available or free. And this has had terrible results for us. It, it doesn't just stuff your schedule, it's done something to our souls. There's a deep soul unrest and unhealthiness that has eked, eked into our society that's gone to the very bones of who we are and it's destroying us from the inside out. See, one of the results that I believe is anxiety. There's a lot of results, but there's a stat up here. The APA surveyed 1,000 U.S. adults about their sources and levels of anxiety. And they found that 39% found that they were more anxious this year than they were last year at the same time. And about 39 said that it's about equally anxious. And then 19 said they were less anxious than last year. That's pretty bad. Now, check this one out. Approximately 40 million American adults, which is about 18% of our population, have anxiety disorder. Like chronic anxiety. And so we're not just struggling emotionally, we're also struggling physically. Check this last stat up. According to the new National Safety Council survey-based report, almost half of Americans do not get enough sleep to safely perform the duties assigned to them by their employers. Half. That's, that's not like five out of a hundred. Half. So we are anxious out of our minds, we're crazy busy, and a lot of us are dead tired. And the problem for many of us is that we work when we're not supposed to work, and we rest when we're not supposed to rest. Like, so when you're supposed to be there with your family, you're like checking your phone. And you're not fully with your family. And then when you're supposed to be at work, you're checking Instagram or playing a, a video game or slicing fruit or something. You know, like you're, you're doing something. We're always doing the opposite of what we're supposed to do. And what that's created is a con- chronic sense of unrest. So when you're done with work, you can't just say, ah, I'm done with work. Because you, you have this gnawing, low-grade guilt, a sense that I didn't actually work as well as I did. Because you're kind of resting when you're supposed to work. And then and when you're resting, you're constantly feeling like, oh, I need to do more work because the work is not done yet. There's more bills to be paid. And this is deeply troublesome. Let me ask you a number of questions, and I want you to just answer them in the head. Don't, you have to raise, don't, don't raise your hand. How often do you feel exhausted? How often are you anxious? You know the kind of anxiety that you feel it in your chest where you're like, like, you can't fully breathe because there's something going on right here. How, how often do you feel like you lack direction or purpose in your life? Or, or you feel paralyzed with the plethora of decisions constantly bearing down what to do next, what to eat next, where to go next, what new job, what person, so forth, all the different questions and decisions we have to make. Would, would any of your friends who know you well say you're a very content person? See, there, there's, a, there's a lot more to go here, but what, what if there was a practice, a rhythm that God gave to his people that would actually deeply help and address all these issues and way more? And the good news is there is, and it's called Sabbath. It's called Sabbath. Here, here's my main point. You must keep a Sabbath if you want to enjoy all that God has for you. You must keep this a Sabbath if you want to enjoy all that God has for you. Now, I know some of you right now are, are just throwing up, like flipping tables in your head. You're like, Sam, that sounds like legalism. I thought this was a grace gospel church, right? No, 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 no. Hear me. If you want to enjoy all that God has for you. You, you tracking with me? I'm going to unpack this more. So all you people who feel like I'm being a Pharisee right now, you can, you can put those pitchforks down. There's going to be, I, I'm hopefully going to make a case for this. See, part of the vision of our church, because I know you guys all recite the vision every day, right, is we are a church, well, I'm, I'm forgetting right now, our vision is to be a church where every member enjoys a vibrant relationship with Jesus. That's one part of it. And so we've been doing a number of standalone sermons that haven't deeply been connected to one book of the Bible, but just to help build certain rhythms of life that will help us experience the rest of Christ, the peace of Christ, the joy that Christ has given us, that, that yet that so many of us find so elusive. So we, we hear stuff that Christ has come to give us life and life to the full, and yet we hear that and we say, that seems so distant from my reality. That doesn't seem like me. 
And yet Christ wants that for us. And so what we've been trying to emphasize is domino habits. What I mean by domino habits, I mean certain habits that if you do this on a regular basis, it dominoes into many other blessings in your life, many other fruits in your life. And if you get these things well, you're going to see a lot of other things. So here's kind of where we're going. I'm going to explain the what of Sabbath. Like, What is a Sabbath? What is Sabbath? And we're going to trace kind of how Sabbath unpacks throughout the Bible from creation to Israel to New Covenant. And then we're going to talk about why Sabbath for the New Testament, New Covenant Christian. Then I'm going to talk about how we Sabbath as a Christian. And finally, an invitation to rest. Okay? Now, let me just kind of give you a scope of where we're going and what we're not going to cover. We're not going to cover every little detail about the Sabbath. We're going to have a midweek podcast. This week, we're going to cover when should you Sabbath, more, more practicalities of the Sabbath. And there's a church that um, I've been helped by that did a 10-week series on Sabbath that has all these resources that I'm going to just throw at you that are going to be really helpful to think about how would you practically do this as an empty nester or as a single person or someone with a new kid and all that kind of stuff. But, but in this message, I just want to establish foundations because if we don't get the foundations, then we're going to take Sabbath as law, not gift. And I want it to be a gift. Not a burden, not a, oh, another thing that I suck at doing. Like another thing that I'm not doing that God has called us. No, no, no. This is a gift for your joy, for your rest. And I want us to receive it that way. Okay, let's jump into it. So start off, what is the Sabbath or a Sabbath? There's a definition on the screen. Very, very simple. Sabbath is a day of complete rest from work following six days of labor. What we're going to do is we're going to start from Genesis and we're going to kind of work our way throughout the Bible and kind of understand how this concept started from the beginning and how it kind of evolves and grows and what it means for us. Now, let me ask you a question. Who was the first person to take a Sabbath? God. Yes, God was. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Look at your Bibles or it will be on the screen. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God, the one who has no limits, the one who created all, rested. He stopped. What did he stop from doing? Work. What was his work? Well, he created the whole earth. This is very important for us to grasp. Before we talk about rest, we also have to talk about work. Now, I did two sermons about work in January and February this year, if you want to take a look about how valuable that is, how we can worship God with our work and glorify God, and we need people to be working. But if you look at this passage, work and rest are deeply connected. See, when you hear the word Sabbath or you see the word rest, it's a little confusing because you immediately, if, you, if you've read the Bible or you know anything about theology, God doesn't get tired, right? It wasn't after six days, he's just like, one second, right? I need a breather. What is he doing? See, see if you look at, if you do a study of this word rest throughout the Bible, this word rest always, not always, but it, it often is connected to work because it's a, it's a satisfied rest. What I mean by that, it's, it's like this. It's like mowing a lawn on a hot day, and after you finish it, you sit back and you grab a drink, and you're like, ah. You guys know what I'm saying? Some of you do. Teenagers don't, right? It's like after a hard project that you've been working in school, and you finished it, and you hit send, and you're like, bam, I crushed it, and you're like, ah. There's a, a, to it. There's a satisfaction that I did something good and I'm resting now. I'm ceasing from that. The word rest here is literally just cease, stopping. So, so don't think from God. Think more like, ah, look at all the good that I just did. See, work and rest have to be connected. So if we want to understand Sabbath for us, we have to understand how it worked for God. Let me read this quote from you by one author, John Mark Homer. Work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, you'll never learn how to work well, and vice versa. Work and rest are friends, not enemies. Sabbath isn't just a day to not work, it's a day to delight in what one Hebrew poet called the work of our hands. To delight in the life you've carved out in partnership with God. To delight in the world around you and to 
Delight in God himself. Sabbath is a day to pull up a chair, sink into it, look back over the work of the last six days, and just enjoy. In order to work well, you must rest well. And in order for you to work well, you must rest well. It it is connected together. And so God was the first to rest. And then later on, as he establishes people, Israel, he gives them a command to follow his example in some manner. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Moses is giving this command through, through God. Um, God is giving this command through Moses, I mean. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is verse 8. Six days you shall labor. Again, look, labor then and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or sojourner, or who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, a number of observations. Would you look at verse 8? He set it apart. The word holy is a, is a complicated word in the Bible, but very simply, it's, it means dedicated. It means consecrated, set apart. This day is set apart for God. Why? Why not set apart every day for God? Well, it's because just like first fruits and giving and tithes and offerings or any, or any category like that, Sabbath is the same, same concept. I give you this day because it represents you own all of it. This day is a representation of everything. And so Sabbath isn't, isn't the day that God has set apart and all the other days are important. It's, it's all the days are important, but this day is a reminder that all of them are the Lord's. It's holy to Him especially. And the, the, the way you spend that one day overflows to the rest. Look at verse 10. It's not just a day of rest for yourself. It's dedicated to God, to Yahweh. So it's not about you, fundamentally. It will have benefits for you, but it's not about you. Also, look at verse 10. He talks about setting aside rest for all these people. Your whole household. Now, some, sometimes we get comments and the media takes pot shots at, at, the, at, at Christianity and the Bible and say, oh, the Bible's so ancient. It's so outdated. They don't know how progressive and how woke we are. Like, this is light years ahead of anyone. In this society, to say that your servants and your oxen and your slaves are going to rest is crazy. It did not make sense. And if you want an example straight in the Bible, they did not let them do that in Exodus. The, the, the Israelites were not allowed to rest under Egypt's, the, Egypt's rule. This, this concept of taking a day off and setting it apart and letting even the meni- most menial people in your household to rest was light years ahead socially. And so Yahweh is setting this example of caring for all kinds of people no matter what strata they are, they, they are in society. And then finally in verse 11, the rationale behind the passage is to remember that God himself worked and rested. All of Sabbath is connected on what God did, and we are looking at his model, what he did for us. Now, let me explain something. Sabbath was not just a gift of rest to us, but it's also a ceremony. It was like an anniversary. Would you look at Exodus 31? See, when you look at Exodus 31, 13, you see that it's a sign. It's a, it's a sign just like the rainbow was a sign for the Noahic Covenant. And circumcision was a sign for the Abrahamic covenant. Sabbath was a sign for the Israelites, for the Mosaic covenant, to connect with God. He says this, You are to speak to my people of Israel and say, Above all, you should keep my Sabbath, Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout our generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Let me just make one additional quick comment here. See, this sign is a reminder that of God's commitment to them, his covenant commitment to his people, and their commitment to him. So as they kept the Sabbath, so they kept their relationship. If you read throughout the Bible, it was, it was neck and neck. If they were faithful with the Sabbath, they were overall faithful to Yahweh in every other way. When they disregarded the Sabbath and that, that special day, you saw the whole of their life go down the drain also. They were deeply connected. And one of the signs of God's commitment to Israel was his abundant provision. As many of you guys know, after Israel was taken out to the wilderness, they had this crazy miracle phenomenon called manna, 
where they would be able to just walk out and they would find like bread on the floor. That was good for you. That was nutritious. And they lived on it. And one of the things that he said, hey, on the Sabbath, don't pick up the manna. And so what they would have to do is on the sixth day, they would have to go out and collect double and rest and trust that they will have enough and that God would bring enough on the sixth day so that they would have enough for themselves. And then on the seventh day, they wouldn't get anything. And some people violate this because they didn't trust God. And so Sabbath was a constant reminder that, hey, I got your back. I will provide for you. I got enough for you. Now think about this. He is calling them to take one day off and setting up for the Lord. That's 18% of your week. Imagine if you could make 18% more of your paycheck. See, if, if, if I just guessed and said the median, uh, the, the median salary in this room was 40000 it's probably not. Let's just say 40000 18% is six grand a year. What if you work seven days a week? See, the entire society around them, besides Israel, worked all the time. And they didn't have this concept of setting apart a day for Yahweh. And so, so the questions that would come in their mind would be like, well, well God, what if I need to plow my land? What, what if there's not enough? Uh, what if there's a, there's a storm or what if there's an issue? I need to take care of it. And Yahweh saying, no, 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 don't you work. You set that day apart and you trust me. I'll take care of you. And, and even crazy, even crazier, that every seventh year they would leave the land alone and not even work it. Talk about trusting God. Can you imagine every seven years you would take the whole year off? All right, boss, I'm done, right? And you just have to trust that God will provide so much during those six years and during that year in other ways that you would have enough. And, and you see throughout Israel's history, they constantly violate this because they just cannot let go of control. They can't trust that God is enough for them. Can't trust that he, he has their back and will provide for them. Because nobody else is doing that. All the nations are doing differently. There's no way God can provide. It doesn't mathematically make sense. And yet, God, the times that they trusted, God provided more than they can imagine. Always had enough. And maybe that's a word for you. Maybe you're holding tight-fisted to your money and your work because you are trying to think that's all up to you and you're controlling everything. Let me tell you this. God can provide way better than you can. He owns it all. Let me just use the illustration real quick. I'm just making it up on the spot, so hopefully it doesn't fall flat. Imagine if someone said, hey, you can trust me. You can take the next day off. Now, that, that, that statement to you should only matter if they're, what, your boss? Or they're crazy rich? But if they're just a random person, you'd be like, I'm, I'm not listening to you. I've got to make my money. But imagine if the person came to you owned the entire universe and everything in it and was sovereign over all of it. W- w- would you be able to trust that person a little more? And, and that's what Israel has. God's like, hey, hey, I got everything. Can you just trust me? I'm your daddy. I own it all. Trust me. And they repeatedly did not trust him. After 40 years in the wilderness, after not trusting him, they write another book called Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is written to a a people who never lived in Egypt. So they didn't know slavery. They were the children of the people who left Israel. Now, check out what Moses says. He says almost exactly everything in chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 it starts. But we're going to skip Till verse 15, because everything is exactly the same as the Exodus passage. But look at verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God, or the Lord your God, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What's different about this Deuteronomy command is that Moses is emphasizing, don't forget who you are. Don't forget you were a slave. And in, Gen- in Exodus, the reminder is mainly, don't forget who owns everything. God created the world. God reigns. He re- reigned and he, he, he created and he rested. And so it's kind of progressing. Now, let's move to the New Testament. Now, over the time before Jesus came in, Sabbath starts to devolve and become something really terrible, where it became a burden. Where you were supposed to say Sabbath and people say, Ah, I love that word. But, but it became a situation where people would say Sabbath, and they're like, oh, oh, what can I not do? And it became restrictive and legalistic, and it was a burden, not a blessing. And so Jesus is getting 
flack from the Pharisees because of the way him and his disciples are observing the Sabbath. And look at Mark chapter 2. He responds to them. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, speaking about himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, two quick takeaways. There's a lot more here. Obviously, this could be its own sermon or a book. Sabbath was not made to enslave man to it. Yes, Sabbath is set aside for God, but God has given to us as a gift to bless us, not for us to be ruled over like a harsh taskmaster of never being good enough. And for those of you here who struggle with legalism, never being good enough for God, this will crush you if you don't receive that. It's a gift. And number two, Jesus is saying that he's Lord over the Sabbath. He reigns over it. It's all about him. And he can make the rules and he can set the tone. And let's keep moving. I'm skipping a lot of things. And if you have questions, you can please talk with us later. But look at Hebrews chapter 4. Flip to Hebrews 4. This is, this is one of the most significant passages to understand Sabbath. We're going to start in verse 1. Just let me summarize and then we'll, we'll, we'll camp out at verse 9 what Lori started to read. So Israel was welcome to rest in God. And their idea of rest was actually a land. Hey, you don't have to be nomadic and roam everywhere. You're going to have a land flowing of milk and honey where there's going to be no war and you get to rest in God. But eventually they get that land and what they realize is that the land did not represent what wasn't the ultimate destination. It was just a pit stop. It was just a pointer to the ultimate rest being with God forever. And what the passage teaches us in Hebrews, I'm I'm summarizing again, is that they received the land and yet there was a greater rest for them that God had for them. So now let's look at verse 9. And and they weren't able to receive the rest, sorry, because they had hard hearts and they resisted him. Verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So I've got to be short here. But there is such a thing as present rest in light of future rest. Because of the promised rest to come, it, it has powerful retroactive effects where it overflows into this age where we can enjoy the rest now because of the rest to come. But, but even more, notice this line in verse 10. For whoever's entered God's rest, present tense, has also rested from his works as God did from his. What is this passage speaking about works? I I think it does mean that God created and God reigns. But I think he's alluding to Jesus' work for us. See, because Jesus worked, you don't have to work like he did. Because he was enough, you don't have to be enough anymore. And so there's a state of rest because our hearts are constantly searching and restless because we're longing for for him. We're longing for approval from a father, a heavenly father who has a greater voice than our earthly father. We're longing for that. And until we receive that from Christ, our hearts are constantly working and are not at rest. And so you can enter into that kind of rest in the now. And then finally, in verse 11, he speaks about this eternal rest that you're going to enter in. And the only way you can do that is persevere, which is a huge theme throughout Hebrews. Where this people, this early church, was just under so much persecution and challenge. And the question that is haunting the Hebrews is this, is Jesus enough? And if you want to enter into the rest, you have to be steadfast until the end. So Sabbath is a day of the week that points to the ultimate rest we have in Christ forever. It's not the destination, it's just a weekly sample. So, so let me ask, answer the question that many of you guys are probably wondering. Is Sabbath binding for Christians? In other words, does a Christian have to keep an Old Testament law? Now, there's lots of scholars who chime in on this question, and the majority of them will say, no, you're not under the law. And they're right. And yet, I would say they could be wrong, depending on how they say it. And here's what I mean. There's a lot of debate on how do we know as Christians what to obey in the Old Testament law. Do we just obey what's comfortable for us or not foreign? What what do we do? Just the Ten Commandments? How do you know what in the Old Testament, the majority of your Bible, you should apply to you? Well, all of it applies to you 
at least indirectly, but how do you know what you have to obey? I mean, should you cut your hair a certain way? Should you not eat shrimp or eat pork? How do you know? Well, very simply, we can go into it more if you're interested in the midweek podcast, is that we are under a new law. Not the law of the Israelites, but the law of Christ. This law of Christ is one of love of God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law hangs on those two commands, loving God with everything and loving others as Christ has loved you. And so when you take the Old Testament, you take it through the lens of loving God and loving people. And, and I'm oversimplifying it a little bit, but as much as it helps to love God and love people, you ought to do that command. So uh, whenever you read an Old Testament law, you have to ask yourself, well, will this help me love God with all my heart, soul, and strength and love my neighbor as myself? And that's, that's my best explanation, how you understand what is a- applicable to us. That, that's a little oversimplistic. But, but keeping that mind, keeping that in mind, do you have to keep a Sabbath? No. Should you keep a Sabbath? Yes. And, and, and as much as you want to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself or as Christ has loved you, I would say you should keep a Sabbath. That's why my main point is you must keep a Sabbath if you want to have the life God has for you. If you want to enjoy the life that God has for you, you must keep a Sabbath. Here, let me explain that a little bit more. I want to talk to you guys about how. How do you do that? And as I unpack the how, it's going to help you understand why. Now, the kind of attitude you need to do to have to be able to actually keep a Sabbath you have to have an attitude and it has to be sick, okay? I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to make, do they call it acronyms when you do letters? Okay, S-I-C, okay? I don't know, these came to me, maybe they're the Lord, maybe not, okay? You have to be sick, okay? I worked hard, so you better like them, all right? Sick. First is steadfast. Second is intentional. C is, what is C? Creative, thank you. He looked at my sermon before. You need to be steadfast, intentional, and creative. See, I don't do these acronyms very well, but hopefully they're helpful. This is the kind of attitude you have to have to keep a Sabbath. Um, You have to be steadfast, intentional, and creative. First of all, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I've been trying to keep a Sabbath on and off for like 10 years, and I'm terrible at it. I'm so bad at it. So if you're good at it, you should teach me how to do it better. But I keep trying because I want to love God and love people better. And I think Sabbath is not the key, but a key to help me love like I've never loved before. And so I'm fighting to be steadfast in keeping a Sabbath weekly. And, and I, we'll talk more on the midweek when you should keep a Sabbath, how long is a Sabbath, and so forth. I, I'm making some assumptions right now and hoping you'll listen more this week. Let me just set the, example, set the expectations. It's going to take months before you're really seeing results from it. And probably a few years before you're like crushing it and you're like, oh, Sabbath is so life-giving. Because everything about the Sabbath of stopping is totally anti what our culture says. Everything is swimming against us. And, and you may say, Sam, that sounds really, really hard. What? How, how could you say such a thing? That sounds hard. The average person in our culture struggles, is racked with anxiety, debt, shame, guilt, distraction, purposelessness, all this kind of stuff. And you know how you want to get that kind of life, that kind of life that the average person does? Do nothing. Just do with what everyone else does. If you want to live the life that no one else is living, you got to do what no one else is doing. I know that sounds like a little catchy, like I just stole that from like Tony Robbins or something like that. But like, for real, like we're like so surprised that like, oh, that takes work. Oh, yeah, yeah, it takes work to have this kind of life of peace and joy. But when you start getting in the habits of it, that's, that's when it becomes easy and a life giver and a joy and not a burden, not legalism. It's going to be hard at times. All it takes is one new baby or sickness to throw you off of months of healthy rhythms. Also, like I said earlier, virtually no one keeps this day. No one sets a day aside. And let's just be clear, I don't think you have to keep it on Saturday or Sunday. I think it could be any day of the week. That's, that's my personal opinion. Almost no one does it, and so you're working against our culture. And everyone loves workaholism and so forth. Now, here's the other thing you need. You need to be intentional. If you want to keep a Sabbath, 
you have to have a prep day. You have to prepare ahead of time. You can't be like, oh, snap, it's, it's Sabbath for me. You have to prepare ahead of time. So that, that may look like for you, it's cleaning the whole house the day before because I don't know if any of you guys are like my wife, if the house is not in order, her heart is not in order. Anyone like that? Like you can't rest. So I could be like, honey, let's pray and read. And she's like just looking at everything on the side. Like she can't rest. So part of having a Sabbath, you have to prep ahead of time. You have to clear your inbox. You have to block your computer. You got to do whatever it takes so you can be set apart for the Lord and for you to rest. Also, you need to have your state of mind. You want to look forward to it and anticipate it so when you're there, you get to really rest. Sometimes, one of the things I do uh, for life-giving rest for me is basketball. And I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. And sometimes, I'll be playing basketball and then be done, and I'm like, ah, dang it, that was my rest. Like, I wasn't letting myself just receive it as a gift of God, so I just went through the motions, you know, like, you know, all the things that I do, right? I just went through the motions, and afterwards, I was like, ah, I didn't even receive it. See, there's a way to do, do activities and not receive it as a gift and just kind of go through the motions. And so part of being able to really enjoy these gifts and receive them as rest is that your mind has to go there and have an intentionality. See creative. All of us have different seasons. Some of you guys are working. Some of you guys are about to have a baby. Some of you guys are empty nester. It's going to take creativity by the Spirit and hopefully the help of the community to help you know how do you practice a Sabbath for your life stage. And it'll look differently in different seasons. There's no law. There's just grace. Okay, now, I'm going to sprint through seven, seven things you want to see on your Sabbath. Okay, and it's going to be really overwhelming as you hear them. But again, they're gifts, they're not law. These are best practices, they're not law, okay? So they're on the screen. Seven essential R's for your Sabbath. I'm doing the alliteration thing again, or whatever you call it. I I literally looked up online words that start with (laughs) R-E to keep it. Because I had like five of them with R, and then three of them were different letters, or two of them, and I I just, I made it work. So, all right, so here are the seven. Rehearse the gospel, realign yourself with God, Remember who you are, reflect on your life, rejoice in the new creation, rest your mind and body, refresh for the mission. Do you ever find yourself forgetting the gospel? Not the facts of the gospel, but do you ever find yourself deviating from the truths of the gospel? Last night, I got in an argument with Joanna, and I was absolutely mean to her. And I totally thought I was right and just, and later on, I found out I was blind to my own sin. And I was like, oh, how dare you? How dare you be like that? I'm not believing the gospel in that moment. Because if I really believe the gospel, I know that I've been a sinner saved by grace. And I don't deserve anything but suffering. And yet I've been given mercy. And all my heart exuded was wrath and justice. I forgot the gospel. See, Sabbath is a day when you, number one, rehearse the gospel. You go over the good old story again. You remind yourself creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You remind yourself where you play in the story, what God's doing. You remind yourself that you were, you were, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You remember that you don't deserve anything, and yet God has given you everything. You, you remind yourself that Jesus died for you on your behalf instead of you and gave you his righteousness. And you wash yourself over this truth. This could even be a five-minute thing on a Sabbath. We're just remembering Man, I'm loved. I am forgiven. I have been given grace. And all the other points from this R list, the seven R's, flows out of this. Do every, any of you guys ever go on ghost mode on God? Where you'll just go hours where you just don't even think about him? You don't even talk to him? Or maybe even days or even, dare say, months where you just totally ignore God? Or maybe you have unconfessed sin that you just harbor and you're hiding and you haven't connected with God over it and you're just avoiding him. See, see, Sabbath is a day when you realign with God. A day where you remember that it's all about him, not about you. It's a day where you remind yourself that he's the creator, he owns you, you are his, everything you have is his, and that he loves you and he's going to make all things new. Sabbath is that day when you realign yourself with God and you're repenting over sin. You're, 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 you're laying your heart bare and you pray with a psalmist in one Psalm, Psalm 139. Search my heart and know me. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you guys ever forget who you are? Your purpose? What really matters to you? See, Sabbath is a day when you remember who you are. And just like Israel, we all are prone to forget who we are. 
we're fr- prone to forget our identity in Christ. We're prone to forget that we're first human beings versus before human doings. We, we are loved. We're delighted in that we are servants, we're missionaries, we're set apart. And all of us struggle with identity crisis every week at different points where we subtly fall into habits of thinking that it's all about us or we start to think that's all up to us. So Sabbath is a day when you remember who you are and you speak those truths over you and you remind yourself, this is who I am. Do you, do you ever struggle with ingratitude or discontentment? This is a big struggle of mine, of being always hungry for more and not content with what I have. See, Sabbath is a day when you, number four, reflect on your life. Sabbath is a day when you slow down and you think about all that God has done in the week, and you take stock of the blessings that you have, not the blessings you don't have. It's a day when you just rest and you look around and you, and you actually are present to the pains in your heart. See, it's not only a positive thing, it's a, it's a time for you to grieve the losses of your life. It's for you to think about all the, the no's of the week, all the pains of the week, and let yourself actually feel it, because during the week you're going to usually go, 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 and ignore it. Sabbath is a day when you slow down and you feel it. You feel the pain, you grieve the losses, you slow down, and you think about what God has done. It's also a day where you reflect on your goals and values. See, if, if you say one of the greatest values in your life is your family, Sabbath is a day when you look back and say, does my life actually look like my, one of my great values is my family? If, if you say your greatest treasure is Christ, Sabbath is a day when you slow down and say, does my life actually look like Jesus is my everything? Or do I just say it? Because that's what I was taught to say. Do you guys ever feel like life is just so dark so hard, so messy. I mean, there was another shooting today in a synagogue. Did you guys hear about that? I mean, we got a, we got a shooting every week, it feels. Life is too hard, it's too messy, it's too broken for us to enjoy anything. How can we have, live with ourselves with nice meals and nice life when there's so much pain in the world, so many people who are dying and suffering? Sabbath is a day when you rejoice in the new creation to come. Sabbath is a day when You live like all things are right, even when all things are not right yet. Sabbath is a day when you remember that Jesus is going to come and make all things new. And you enjoy creation, you enjoy your spouse, you enjoy your friends, you enjoy media, you enjoy life as if it is already happened. Because he will come and make all things new. See, Sabbath is a day when you remember that Jesus' words to the, to the one who wiped his feet with expensive oils that the poor you'll always have with you. Sabbath is a day where you remember that God is going to make all things new and you can enjoy and celebrate that coming day. It's a day where you can eat a steak slowly and enjoy it and not feel guilty that you spent money on it. It's a day where you can enjoy your, your spouse in marital bliss. It's a day where you can enjoy a show It's a day where you can go outside a couple of months of the year for us. It's a day where you can just enjoy the good gifts and remind yourself of the coming day. Now listen, something's really important. If you're not working throughout the week and living in a wartime lifestyle because God is, we're in a war right now and there's people dying, if you live all week long like you're celebrating, you're not going to enjoy that day as you ought to. But if the whole week you're living simply, sacrificially pouring out your life, that that day when you eat that steak, you, you could just, oh, Jesus, you can worship. But if all week you're eating steak, th- then you're missing the point of why we're here. We're not here to celebrate. We're here to make disciples, to glorify God. And so Sabbath is just a little pause throughout the week where we remember that one day we're no longer to work. We're going to just enjoy him. And any kind of work that we'll have in the new heavens and new earth will be joyful and not wearisome or burdensome. Are you guys tired? Sabbath is a day when you rest your mind and body. That you remember that the work is done even when it's not done. That God is ruling and he does not need you. That things will move on even if you stop. And so Sabbath is a day when you're intentional about sleeping in or taking naps, resting your mind and your body. You are not a robot. You are finite. You are expendable. 
And one of the days that's important, one of the habits that are important to keep is disconnection. Sabbath is a day where you can't really reach me on my phone unless you're sneaky. Uh, Sabbath is a day where I don't check my email at all. When I disconnect, where I don't watch the news because every day the news is depressing. And I'll intercede all week long, but on the Sabbath, I ain't praying for the news. And when I do that, you know what I'm able to do? I'm able to actually pray more throughout the week. See, when you pause for that day, you're able to engage more throughout the week. That day has a ripple effect. So don't hear escapism from me. It's resting so that you can better engage. Sabbath is a day when you rest your mind and your body. Finally, Sabbath is a day when you refresh yourself for mission. You don't just rest, you refresh. What gives you life? What is life giving to you? Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's reading a novel. Maybe it's cooking. See, what may be life-giving for you may be death-giving for someone else. Some of you guys are sick and you love running outside. I don't know why you do that. But for you, that may be life-giving. And that's so, why it's so important that we don't treat Sabbath like law because you were like, that guy's running a, a marathon on his Sabbath. I guess I need to do that too. No, you don't. You better not because that would be death-giving to most of us, right? And, and so you want to start thinking over time, and this is not something you know over time, o- overnight. It's something that takes time, learning yourself. What's life-giving? You self-assess. Is watching a season of The Office life-giving? Well, you tell me. Do it on a Sabbath and afterwards say, that, I just want to love God more. Or you feel sick inside. Like, you, you, you have to reassess what life gives life to you. And as you grow, it may evolve and change and look differently. And some of it is going to include hobby. Some of, it, some of it may include a certain person, a relationship, a certain activity. It could be going to a movie. It could be lots of different things. But Sabbath is a day where you're trying to find things that are life givers to you not life takers, so that all week long you can spend your life for others, so you can pour out your life like a drink offering and serve. Again, notice there's a, there's a rhythm of six and one, not seven and seven. So all, day, all week long you can just enjoy yourself. Remember, you need to be sick to do this well. You need to be steadfast, intentional, and creative. I can't answer all the specifics for you. The Holy Spirit and your community needs to help you figure it out. Now let me wrap it up. If you're tired here today, tired spiritually, Jesus has good news for you. You don't have to keep running from him. You don't have to keep trying to make it all work for yourself. You don't need to be the one who controls your destiny. There is one who will do that better than you. There is one who will love you unto death. And he did love you unto death. Now let's look at the rest of Hebrews 4. We stopped at Hebrews 4, 11. Would you look at the screen as we wrap up? This is, this is how the passage keeps going. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, and discerning the, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, hear that, no creature, no one here is hidden from his sight. See, this is often spoken about the Bible, but it's also specifically really speaking about Jesus. All are naked and exposed in his eyes to to him whom we must give an account. You're not going to give an account to the Bible. You're going to give an account to a person. And that's Jesus. All of us will face Jesus one day. And either you rested in him and trusted in him and hoped in him, or you didn't. And if you didn't, you will be rejected on that day. And I don't want that for any of you. Jesus is offering you rest now and rest eternal. You can have that. So if, if you want that and you feel like you're, at unre- you're not at rest, come talk with us. We, we want you to enter into that rest. We'd love to talk with you. So come talk to any of our members. Guys, imagine if our whole community got this. What if we lived with daily and weekly rhythms of rest, of Sabbath? What if we remembered regularly who we were, who God was, and where we're headed? Can you imagine what we would be like if every one of our members here had a healthy rhythm of Sabbath? We would love like we never loved before. 
We'd love God like we've never loved God before. We would love others like we've never loved them before. We would experience the peace and joy and hope and life that we've never experienced before. I'm, I'm so excited for us to do that as a community. It's going to be hard, but I, I want to welcome you into this weekly habit of setting aside a day for the Lord, for all the seven R's, for your joy, and so that you could love like never before. We must keep a Sabbath if we want to enjoy all that God has for us. And isn't it wonderful, as I end, isn't it wonderful that all of this is available through Christ? He's not calling us to work hard enough so we can earn the rest. He already earned it for us. And he's welcoming us into his finished work, into his finished rest that he has for us. Jesus already worked so hard that he dropped dead so that we can have all of his rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I've heard a handful of sermons on Sabbath, and I remember almost every single time I've heard it, I've been like, oh, that's cute and nice, but I can't do that. I'm too busy. I have too many things going on. And Lord, I pray that our community would be able to embrace, even if it's eight hours a week or whatever it is, in baby steps, this habit, this rhythm of resting in you so that we can love you like never before and love others and pour out our lives. Our society is so full of anxiety and shame, and purposelessness, and and all the confusion that our society has, I pray that we would be a people set apart that's not like them. We know who we are in Christ. We know how to rest in you so that we can work for you, by you. And if there's anyone here who is not resting in you, a, a saint who have trusted you, but yet they're living like it's all up to them, would you call them back into that rest? And if there's anyone here who's trying to live their life on their own, and trying to work on their own, and they're just dead exhausted, I pray that they would just give up their, their attempts to do it on their own and trust and hope and rest in you. Thank you so much for this word. And if there's anything that I taught that was in error of the word, would you correct me? And you teach us better. But everything that is true, Lord, let it deeply impact us now and forever for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.